Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Great to chat with you today. You know, I know there's this big LeBron James, Golden State Warriors rumor out there, and everyone's talking about it, and you and I are going to talk about it as well. But before we do that, you know me. I'm a reality-based person, and I wanted to talk about some real reality right off the top for a second. Is that okay? That's, that's fine, of course. Go for it. This reality concerns my good buddy and our good buddy, Rob Mahoney. Now, he is now into season two of the Breakaway podcast, and he is playing in a space where there's lots of other people trying to do the same thing. It's essentially a long-form, you know, 20, 25, 30-minute uh, audio episode about one player or one coach or one theme. Yeah. And you see all sorts of people doing this type of stuff, right? It could be team employees for the website. Uh, it could be third-party companies like Uninterrupted. It could be other media outlets just doing long-form interviews. Lots of people are, are trying to do this, but no one out there is doing what Rob is doing because he's kind of taking a capital J journalism approach to it. He's not asking guys, you know, what are you eating for lunch or what would you bring with you on a deserted island or yeah. what kind of music are you listening to? You know, those those type of like uh, Q&A type questions. That's not what he's doing, Andrew. What he's trying to do is really paint a story. And what I love about him is that he adds his own voice into the the overall tapestry, it right? Adds so a lot. It, it, I have to say, I listened to the Damian Lillard episode uh, earlier today. We're recording this on a Thursday, and I, I listened to the Lillard episode Thursday morning, and it was great in large part because of the color that Rob adds in between the interview. Like he interjects every every couple minutes with a, kind of a mini digression of his own, and it really sort of adds a lot of context that makes it a, 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 a much better experience than just a straight interview. It's just so much more thorough and it's so much uh, more intellectually honest. Like you're mentioning, that was episode one of season two, Damian Lillard, and it's about his leadership. And every once in a while, it starts to kind of tread towards like, you know, Damian's a saint type of territory. And Rob <laughs> yeah. has just... Rob is like the most decent person in the world. He's definitely more decent than me. I'd argue, I don't want to be insulting, but I think he might be more decent than you. <laughs> There's no question. There's no question. Rob is better at his job and a better person than both of us. It's all good. Better than like 99% of the world. And But what he has this great knack for is reeling it back in, right? So he, yeah. he's got a light touch, but once it starts to get a little bit too like could trend towards that puff piece side, he brings it back and gives you this unbelievable basketball knowledge. I just want everybody in the open floor globe to check it out. Andrew, I kind of feel like... You know, we're sort of sort of the happy hour for people. You know, like uh, you kind of drink and chill and 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 shoot the you know what with your buddies. Rob is sort <laughs> of like the, you that. Know what? Yeah. Hey, look, Elizabeth is listening, but Rob is sort of like the yoga mindfulness uh, hour of your life. You know, in contrast to the kind of goofiness that we bring. I yeah. think there's huge crossover potential. If you're listening to us and not him, you're missing out on a key aspect of your day. Yeah, go check out Breakaway. It has its own iTunes feed, and uh, this isn't like a, a structured advertisement, but we both had been listening to it uh, earlier in the week, and it's just, it's very cool. It's got sort of an NPR-ish feel to it, and there's not really a product like it in the basketball media. It's it's a cool little lane that Rob has created for himself, and uh I'm excited Look, to see where it goes. I love the the D'Antoni episode last season. Uh, 
the Lillard episode was great. I I love the the mood music he he adds to him. It just like the production quality is a plus from those guys. It really is, and I mean, he just tickles your brain. It's like a stroll through the park as you're listening to this, you know, uh, this mental journey that he takes you on. It's great. And in season one, by the way, you mentioned if people haven't listened to season one. That's like Illmatic. You know, Illmatic was 10 <laughs> cuts, 10 bangers. Season one had no weak links. It was all good episodes. And just to really wrap this up here, Andrew, I'm going to tease it. Yeah. His next episode is about Andre Robertson and the Thunder. And so he's not just picking random esoteric topics to discuss. He's picking timely, uh, newsworthy event type topics to really wrap his hand around. It's great. Like you mentioned, production's off the charts. Yeah. So, and, well, wait, and you alluded to this, but I, we should make it clear. Listening to Open Floor, listening to Ben and I yell at each other, you probably don't leave most of these episodes feeling smarter, but you will hey. listen to Rob Mahoney and feel smarter because he, it does take you inside various aspects of the league that you would otherwise not know much about. And it's cool to hear different, different players from around the league open up about it. Well, I didn't think you needed to go quite that far, but let's <laughs> wait. Let's talk LeBron James Hold and the on. Warriors and, and find out how you're wrong about that. Before we get to LeBron, you mentioned that you and Rob have been like a tag team through the years. And you know, as you were talking, I realized something. You and Rob are kind of the Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan of NBA media. Stop how it. How do you feel dude, about don't that? Don't do this. Uh, I, no comment. I'm sorry. I'm, no I'm not going to take that question. When they started as friends, and we've we've read these recent articles, Kyle and Damar, you know, they didn't talk for a while. They didn't have each other's uh, phone numbers. Rob and I have been thick as thieves since the 2011 playoffs when he was still in college grinding out a book about the Dallas Mavericks and their unbelievable finals run. So there was no initial tension. Uh, it's been, you know, a perfect uh, hand-in-glove fit ever since. So how dare you make such a, you know, a, a ridiculous <laughs> just comparison? Saying, just saying, just occurred to me. Uh, all right, let's move to LeBron. So basically, we've got a lot of mailbag questions that we're going to get to, but we also have five or six rumors and different trade deadline topics that we should hit quickly before we jump into the mail. So on my list, I have LeBron and the Warriors. I have Miritich and the Pelicans. I have Greg Monroe's buyout sweepstakes. I have... Bubble-wrapped Tyreek Evans, currently on the sidelines in, in uh, Memphis, waiting to be traded. And then I have DeAndre Jordan. So I guess Le we probably have more to say about LeBron. And I got to be honest, my first reaction was that this is just the ultimate defeat for LeBron. Like, the, the, <laughs> the rumor makes no sense. It would be a horrible decision if it ever happened. And even the decision to leak it is a sign of sad kind of pathetic desperation that has got to make Golden State people pretty amused. Like, the Warriors could hang another banner based on this story. Like, 2017, 2018, we drove LeBron James completely insane. Because this is just, it's a its a new low for him and for the Cavs. And, I like, I don't really know what else to say about it. It doesn't make sense. It's not, its it feels like fake news almost, except that it was clearly leaked by someone in his camp to Chris Haynes. Well, I have an explanation for you, but I'm also glad that you mentioned this is sort of a new low because I was thinking of comparison points uh, to what has happened here to LeBron over the last two years. Like if you start the chart at the block and the, you know, the, the yeah. finals victory and you chart it to where he is right now, 
I mean, basically what you're describing is like Lehman Brothers or Bear Stearns collapse. So I don't know if it's like, <laughs> Le Be- if we call them Le Bear Stearns or, or what we want to call them right now. But uh, my explanation is this. Who would hate this news the most more than anyone? Because you're right. It obviously came out of his camp. Who would get the angriest, the most frustrated, the saltiest, and also be feeling the most leverage from this report going public? There is no so, question. All right. It's Dan Gilbert. I know and you're about to say Dan Gilbert, but I just don't. It is. I don't understand what he's hoping to accomplish on that front. Is this, okay. is this literally just twisting the knife and trying to annoy Dan Gilbert? Because the, he's not really creating leverage. Like if I were Dan Gilbert, I would be like, you know what, LeBron, if you want to set your legacy on fire, sure. Let's let's send you to Golden State and see how that's received among the basketball community. Now, a couple things. First of all, it's more breadcrumbs, right? We talked about this going back to last summer, the mistakes around uh, the David Griffin situation, and then LeBron's weird comments about Ty Lue. Oh, I don't know what the organization is doing, yeah. right? Having this kind of come out, uh, it's once again kind of putting the onus on Dan Gilbert. Hey, man, you better make a trade to get our roster better or I'm gone and all the blame is going to fall on you. Uh, that's part of it. But the other part of it, to me, it's personal and it's spiteful. That's just my reading of it. If you're Dan Gilbert and your reputation nationally is basically like a lone shark who's sucking the money out of the once great Rust Belt cities for your own edification, you won one title, LeBron got all the credit for it, and you spent a ton of money to do it, but no one really remembers you that way. The people who you envy and you're angriest at the most, it's the Warriors ownership group, the darlings of Silicon Valley, the people who get the puff pieces from the New York Times magazine, the people who are building their own new arena in San Francisco and getting all of the attention, all the accolades and all the recent winning, the people who are actually going to have sustainable success here over the course potentially of the next 10 years, not entering this constant like boom or bust mentality that the Cavaliers have been as they've you know kind of gone through the LeBron. James experience. If you're Dan Gilbert and you read this story, you're irate. You're just like, why is he doing this to me? I've, you know, I've paid him. I've paid all these other guys, his buddies. You're just really, really angry. And then you're staring at a choice. Do you trade your first round pick or not? And LeBron's making it pretty clear here. You better trade it. You better get me some help. I mean, but here's, I guess so. He's doing it in the lamest way possible. Floating these warriors rumors is a bad look for LeBron. Like, Leaving aside whatever play he's trying to make with the Cavs, this is just kind of a strange move, right? Look, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I think my ridiculous LeBron leverage ideas are better than LeBron's own ridiculous leverage ideas. I mean, when we go back one episode and we talk about the logic behind him just forcing a trade to Houston right here at the deadline and playing for a title this year— that makes way more sense than playing around with these rumors about Golden State and and all of the other stuff. So uh, it's it's a bad look for LeBron, but I also think it's kind of a pointed jab. I think this is getting personal at this point, uh, you know, between those guys. That's my read on the situation. I'm not citing sources on that. That is just when you carefully track this stuff over the last nine months, it's the most obvious explanation. Well, and here's a question I actually I had for you on this, though, because you're peppering me with questions here. Okay. You remember during that Hamptons meeting, right, for KD, that pitch, uh, everyone shows up. And, you know, in contrast to Russell Westbrook sitting out Oklahoma City's presentation, you had Steph there, you had Draymond, Kerr. Everyone was on board with bringing KD from the ownership to Jerry West to all of the players. I want to ask you this. If they had the opportunity to sign LeBron to a max contract this summer, 
who is on board from Golden State's side for real? Given all the uh, the you know the roster sacrifices that are going to be involved, you're going to have to probably trade Clay. You're going to probably lose Iguodala. Uh, you know, Katie might have to take less money. I mean, go through the list of the major personalities, and who do you think is actually on board uh, with doing that? Well, uh, would you say would you say Steph's on board? Would you say Katie's on board? Would you say Kerr's on board? Would Bob Myers be on board? Would ownership be on board? I mean, I guess my question, my my t- my first uh, take would be a lot of those guys would just be like, "Nah, we're good." Yeah, and I think that's part of what makes this such a bad look for LeBron is that once people start thinking this through, it's like, actually, I don't know if the Warriors need LeBron. I don't know if they would want LeBron. Like, even if he was willing to come there, even if he were like, you know what? I'm not going to take 30. I'm not going to ask for 35 million this summer. I will play at a discount. I want to go play for a winning organization. I don't know if they would risk screwing up the next four or five years of potential title teams by bringing in LeBron, which is another reminder that we're entering a different phase of his career and it was just such a rough look I think to answer your question in a literal sense I don't think that the Warriors ever go like there would there wouldn't be holdouts who are like nah I'm not going to recruit him like they would go as a team if they wanted to do that but I just don't think that as a team they would ever make that decision and say nah it's worth it for us to bring in LeBron and like one of the funniest parts of the report from Chris Haynes was when he was talking about how LeBron courts organizations with stability. I think it, at some point we have to admit that LeBron kind of reflexively guarantees that you're not going to have stability as an organization if you bring him in because like he's played a key role in in a lot of what's been crazy about the Cavs over the last few years. And granted, like... David Griffin was fired or, or not extended in June. So like the ownership has a, a ton of responsibility here too, but like you can't deny LeBron's role in all this. No, there's no doubt. There's a clear contrast sort of locker room culture wise between LeBron, which that's basically like you're in escape room playing dodgeball blindfolded and the warriors <laughs> who are basically doing yoga on paddle boards on the Pacific Ocean at sunrise, and right? That There's was just honestly, a very clear difference. That was honestly my only takeaway from all of this because I don't want to be the guy who's out here just like hating on LeBron, but this is one of those stories where it's, it's tough to talk about it without talking about how lame it is f- for him. So the, the only way that this could make sense for me and not be kind of depressing is to think about how much fun the Warriors have had with this internally. And really, like, if you go back to LeBron, you you mentioned the the uh, the block on Iguodala. And then the aftermath of that title when he co- comes out wearing the ultimate Warrior shirt. And it was all awesome. Like, I, I loved every second of that Cavs title and the month or two of celebrations that followed from, like, Della Vadova and Richard Jefferson and Snapchats all summer. It was great. But since then, man, the Cavs have just taken loss after loss after loss. And it's almost like Warriors fan fiction, basically, because like it just keeps getting so much worse. And and literally, this is LeBron like floating the idea of him playing in Golden State and everyone in Golden State being like, uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, like I said, LeBear Stearns, man. <laughs> so here's because you didn't answer my question. You dodged it. Typical. But Did I? I don't think Steph... Yeah, I don't think Steph would really want him. Uh, I'm not sure KD would want him. 
I think Steve Kerr would really think long and hard about how he could make it work and sort of, you know, bring everybody together, pull the best out of LeBron. I think Bob Myers would have some interest in him. No, I, mean, I think the- Draymond has, uh, hold on. I think Draymond has a certain affection for him. Uh, so I, I could just see that being a split room. And if you have a split room, I don't know how that, uh, a transaction of that size gets done. And here's the thing. You're focusing a lot on LeBron's legacy, which is the right way to look at this. But let's not forget that Steph and KD have legacies here too. And every time they beat LeBron in the finals, they ratchet up or even, you know, in the Western Conference finals, let's say LeBron goes to the Rockets or the Spurs. Every time they beat LeBron, their le- their legacies ratchet up, right? They move up that all-time players list. And so if, if you're competitive guys like that, wouldn't you rather just have your max contracts, keep beating LeBron and, you know, retire into the sunset with a whole bunch of rings and, you know, a whole bunch of victories over one of the guys who's going to be considered one of the two greatest players of all time? I mean, to me, I, I think that's how I'd play it if I was them. And again, I if you you're picking guys from without his throughout history to start a franchise with, I go Mike one and I probably go LeBron two, right? So this is not meant to knock him, even at his current levels of play. He's absolutely a guy you try to get under any circumstances if you're you know the average franchise or even a very, 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 very good franchise. But Golden State's been something different here these last four years. And I think given their exact specific scenario right now. They would have motivation to to look at that uh, as a move with pros and cons in a ways that a lot of other organizations and basically every other organization wouldn't. Well, yeah, yeah, we're falling into the trap now. We don't need to take this that seriously. The only the last two things I want to say are number one that if this happened, it would be such a bad look slash development for the NBA itself. Like I would be shocked if uh, Adam Silver didn't do everything yeah. in his power to avoid this. <laughs> like I don't no, know. Stern's Stern's coming back. Like he's <laughs> he's hopping back into the mix if that happens. Like he's like, look, Adam, we really appreciate all the international growth and the great digital media <laughs> growth. But look, man, we, we we got a problem here. We need someone to to lay it down. And uh I think, you know, Stern is up to that task. Yeah. And then the one other serious take I have is that if the Warriors are trading Clay Thompson, they are not trading Clay Thompson for someone who's 34 or 35 years old and is only going to have two more years left at, in his prime. I think Clay for Anthony Davis is a lot more plausible to me than Clay for LeBron. Like, even in a vacuum where none of the other factors are relevant, like the Warriors could absolutely trade Clay, but they're going to trade Clay for either one big piece or several other pieces, all of whom who are young and can help extend the title window for another five or six years. Okay, you said we were falling into the trap. I'm going to pull us out of the trap because I have one more theory about this. Uh, Because I'm sure you saw the list that kind of came out a little bit afterwards of teams he would consider and so forth. I mean, this Warriors thing, doesn't it kind of feel like a head fake setting up the San Antonio Spurs move I've been talking about for a year now? I mean, isn't isn't that what this was about? (laughs) I could buy that, okay? If that's why he's doing this, if he's setting up the San Antonio move, then I love it. Uh, I Actually, I still don't like it, but... I love I love LeBron to the Spurs. I think that's a move we could all get behind and would be much healthier than the current situation. Like he wherever LeBron goes next summer and honestly I think at some point we're going to need to ban ourselves from talking about it because it's like every week now there's a new theory or or something out the new rumor out there and it's getting old. But wherever he goes, I want him to go to a team with enough structure to kind of cut 
the LeBron bullshit in half because right now we're at like an all-time high of, with LeBron bullshit, and it's just too much. It's exhausting. Yep, that's been my take for months, and Cleveland just continues to add to his mountains of nonsense, just, you know, poking him in all these different ways, and the it's Spurs tough. look better and better. Here's what I'd say, though, Andrew. Imagine how insufferable I'm, insufferable I'm going to be looking back at this report if he does wind up going to the Spurs. I mean, we're going to laugh so hard about <laughs> this moment in yes, time. It's going to be great. Gonna be great. Uh, all right, couple of the other, the other uh, bullet points I had here. Miritich to the Pelicans. What do you think? Well, the big question we had last week was, do they, uh, you know, trade future assets, draft picks to try to stabilize the thing and, and make sure you take some of the pressure off Anthony Davis? And yeah. surprise, surprise, they've done it. <sighs> to be honest, Miritich has had a great season. Uh, everybody realizes that. He had to go. Everybody realizes that. I think the fit's pretty solid. Uh, certainly his talent level is going to stand out on that roster, and that's not saying everything about him. It's, it's saying, saying a, lot of, yeah. a, a lot about their roster. But can I be real? I mean, my biggest takeaway about this trade was just sort of like the passage of time and how we mark time. There's like Groundhog's Day. Uh, you know, people would say like the first snowfall in winter. You know, back in Oregon, it was like if you got three days in a row without rain, uh, that meant, you know, winter was over. Omer Ashik's contract is how I pass time. That is how I mark the passage of time, Andrew. Yeah. Do you realize this guy who's been on his contract, I believe, for 17 years now in New Orleans, maybe 18, I haven't quite calculated it, he's still got two plus more years left because he's got that player option in 2019 that 20. Was it Was that signed under, under a different CBA? It must have been because it feels like it's been like a six or seven year deal. And I don't know how that's possible. That's You're not allowed to sign those contracts in the modern era. But I, like, was that Maury in 2012 or something? Uh, well, here's the thing. Happiness and contentment has a warping effect when it comes to time. I mean, you know, if you've been to like a theme park and you're having a good time, it feels like the day goes by in a flash, right? And if you're having a bad day and you're sick, it feels like 24 hours feels like a month. I mean, yep. that's what we're dealing with here. Omer Ashi, from outside appearances, is the least happy person in the entire league at any level. <laughs> and that's why his contract has dragged and dragged and dragged. And, you know, you look at his production. I mean, <laughs> it is dark, just so, so, so sad. And um, now that we've buried him, uh, I'm not sure I have anything else to say about this move. Yeah, I think it's a win for the Pelicans to give up the first and get someone who could actually help them and dump the Omer Ashik contract. I, I think, like, if you had asked me a week ago, are the Pelicans going to trade a first? Will they get someone who can help? I would say like probably someone, someone at the Miritich level. But to be able to get off that Asha contract is a, is a win. Um, and the Bulls, who knows what the hell the Bulls are doing? Um, our, our old friend Big Head Baghetti, Uh, But I think that like they're going to have a ton of cap space. And if anything, that would worry me if I were a Bulls fan because the free agents this summer are not that great um and i don't know who they would go after like maybe someone like clint capella or something but i would be on guard if i were a chicago fan i think there are a lot of things to be excited about with the future um particularly now that they're losing again and and look like they're going to be in that top five range uh in june but I, they, they're going to have i think 27 million dollars in cap space 
And really the best thing for them is to probably just not spend most of that money, but who knows? Yeah, just to really quickly clarify on Ashik's contract, uh, they traded for him and then they re-signed him to a five-year deal. Oh, in, that's what uh, it is. 2015. Yeah, <laughs> there no, you it, go. I, yeah, you know, Dal Dem special. I mean, real. That's rough. I mean, one of his, one of his top, I guess, what 15 or 20 greatest hits because he's had so many down there. You need a double album for everything he's done. But uh, well, there yeah, you go. I think in terms of Chicago side, though. Um, Really feels like you probably could have gotten more or should have gotten more for taking on that money. That's a lot of dead money for a while. Yeah. Uh, maybe they have some plan to convince Ashik to retire or something and get him out of here. I, th- but. I think there's a buyout <laughs> at the end of Ashik's contract, but I, I could be wrong on that. Um, so let's move on, though, because no one really cares about Omar Ashik or Nikola Miritich. Uh, Greg Monroe, what do you think? Where do you think he ends up? Pelicans? Well, again, I'm less interested in the answer to that question and more interested in bagging on a general manager. Um, Remember when they traded for him, wasn't there a little talk like, oh, they could spin Greg Monroe off another deal and get another asset out of that Eric Bledsoe situation? Uh, Did Ryan McDonough pull that off, Andrew, or did he run completely out of suitors and just have to take his loss? Which one of the two? And I think one of the reasons they just had no leverage in this because everyone around the league knew that they were going to buy Monroe out if anything the Suns deserve credit for for buying him out like a week before the trade deadline so that he would have more options and and I think in that regard it's it's a nice move from them um and people have been bitching about the way they treat players for the last like three or four years so rare moment of class from the Suns organization but yeah it's uh certainly it it I think it speaks poorly of the front office there and maybe of Greg Monroe's stature around the league that nobody was even willing to give up like a second round pick for him. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, we've been down on Milwaukee a lot over the course of, you know, the last two months, but was there ever a moment we were like, gosh, they really need Greg Monroe back, boy, you know? I mean, like, yeah, they had a lot of problems (laughs) in the middle. Like we were, you know, we're, I was super upset at guys like, you know, Thon and, and Henson and guys are just getting killed on the glass and stuff, but you never were were thinking, hey, let's bring back Greg Monroe. Hey, by the way, Andrew, is it too early to start the Joe Prunty for Coach of the Year uh, campaign? He's the only undefeated coach in the league as we're recording. 4-0, unbelievable. Uh, they may not lose again this season, and uh, I just think we should make sure we give him some love. Uh, clearly, the turnaround uh, was just as we predicted. Well, you know what? You called it when they fired Kid. They picked the perfect place in the schedule to fire him yep. because Prunty has gotten to sort of build a little bit of momentum. Bucks fans are loving it. His rotations are nice and predictable every night, unlike Jason Kidd. They haven't been beating good teams. Like they're in the mix with the, the Suns, the Bulls, the the Sixers, the Nets, but they're beating those teams. And in the past, like those those were fifty fifty games under Kid. And so it's it's been nice to see them get a little momentum rolling. For sure. And then back on the point of Monroe and like who does he help or where does he land? Uh, I think you have to be really desperate to be able to get something from him at this point. Um so yeah. I you know, if I'm a if I'm a really good team, if I'm a top five six team, I'm not sure I have you know that much interest. And he was not standing out in uh, in Phoenix in any meaningful way. Uh, so from you know from that standpoint, unless you've got some major roster hole, uh, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah, uh, one quick Greg Monroe story: when he was at Georgetown, 
one of my friends found his wallet on uh, the sidewalk and uh, <laughs> and got in touch with him and, and Monroe came and picked it up. And he was apparently a really great guy. And uh, he's welcome back to D.C. if he wants to come. I don't think the Wizards are good enough to attract the Greg Monroe, Joe Johnson class of buyout candidates. But uh, but we'd love to have him. So, um, Well, yeah, one of life's great principles is that you're always in the best mood possible when someone finds your wallet and gives it back exactly, to you. Like, exactly. I, he, was I mean, a, that, <laughs> he was thrilled that someone, that nobody stole it. Uh, let's move on. Let's skip the rest of these lists. And nobody, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Tyreek Evans next week. We'll get to DeAndre. Uh, let's get into the questions. But before we move on, Ben, let's talk about mattresses. Let us tell you about Mattress Firm. Let's keep the basketball rolling, shall we? Mattress Firm's argument is simple. Your bed budget can go further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. Andrew, it's a true slam dunk, and you'll have a ball. Mattress Firm as the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this. They are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite 3&D wing. So go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know that you paid the perfect price. Sleep trial, low-price guarantee talk about a one-two punch gary payton and sean kemp if you will score big with a perfect bed head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today tonight and tomorrow mattressfirm.com slash podcast sounds great andrew everyone needs a good mattress so if you don't have one mattress firm will hold you down payton and kemp if you will uh all right let's get back into it so Liam says, would you agree that the Blake Griffin trade personifies the danger of giving a coach too much power? SVG has continually eschewed any thought of bottoming out and instead paid high on Root Canal and Andre Drummond. He's given up depth, youth, future assets, any hope of future flexibility for an impact player coming toward the end of his prime with a long injury history. They'd best hope Luke Kennard turns out well. I do think that this this hits on one of the underplayed factors in all of this, um, and it and it applies to what's gone wrong for the Clippers over the last five or six years too. Is draft picks matter? And Stan Van Gundy has struck out in the draft the last couple of years, and the Clippers were kind of asleep at the wheel themselves in the draft over the last four or five years, although. They've got a, a number of young guys this this year, which you wrote about this week. But I think that's that's another part of this where I think when when you give coaches too much power, they tend to undervalue those younger assets, and that's how these teams fall apart. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think it's a coincidence that the teams that got leaked in Blake Griffin trade rumors over the last month were Minnesota and Detroit. I mean, if you're the Clippers and you're trying to offload a $175 million contract, who are you going to? You're going to the teams that have 
coaches who are also unproven front office guys and who are going to be looking to upgrade their talent and superstar recognition uh, without much cause for the future, right? Like you're not going to pull one of those uh, on a Greg Popovich, but this is one of those situations where the, the Clippers knew who the buyer was going to be because they used to be that same person when Doc was in charge, right? Uh, thank you for plugging my story about the Clippers and their de- their newfound development focus. If anyone gets the chance, please go read it. I know it's super long. It's pretty esoteric in terms of the details about the two-way contracts, but there are some important takeaways from that piece, namely that uh, teams are now feeling that if you don't have your own G League franchise and you don't make use of these two-way contracts as a way to kind of fill out your roster, especially if you have a high salary roster, you're going to be at a competitive disadvantage. So yeah. this new this new two-way thing uh, in conjunction with trying to put more into your scouting department like the Clippers had in terms of finding better draft picks and you know playing those guys and trusting those guys on the court, um, that is how you fill out your roster, whether you're a contender like the Warriors who have to get minutes from uh, minimum salary guys and their own draft picks, Jordan Bell, McCaw down the list, uh, or if you're a team in the middle of the pack like the Clippers or uh, you know some of these other organizations right around 500 who are, are turning to those guys for big minutes as well. So I just think it's an interesting trend that's happening here uh, that has been reinforced here by the last collective bargaining agreement. And I encourage people who are really into the kind of nitty gritty NBA stuff to go check that piece out. Yeah, no, it was a great read. And it actually dovetailed nicely with something that I wrote uh, that ran on the same day. I don't know if you read it, but I, I was talking about the, the salary structure in today's NBA. And, the, and it occurred to me as we were talking through the Blake Griffin trade earlier in the week that one of the biggest problems with with him and the reason everybody was down on the Pistons and everybody was high on the Clippers is basically that Blake Griffin is just overpaid. Like that was sort of the subtext to all of it. And it, I, that doesn't mean that he's bad. He's just, he should be making $20 million instead of $30 million. And I think that we're beginning to see that more and more around the league. It's like the stars have the leverage to command like these massive deals and I understand why they have that leverage, but uh, and and in large part it makes sense because someone like Blake Griffin like enhances the brand of any team he's on and makes the team more valuable uh, over the years. And so like he, he literally is making the owners hundreds of millions of dollars, and, and superstars in general are doing that. So I I understand why they get a premium, but it makes building the rest of the team much harder. And so thinking through the Blake trade and and some of what's gone wrong in Detroit is like you can have superstars and you can you can pay a premium to have them and and most teams need them to to have a chance at being relevant but I think what we're beginning to see is that if you're going to have a top heavy roster you have to be really really smart about building conservatively on the rest of the roster like in other words if superstars are going to get overpaid that has to come at the expense of the middle class and uh and i think that's why two-way contracts and draft picks are so important because it it allows you to get useful players who are cheap and who can be nearly as effective and you don't have to overpay for like a tobias harris or a reggie jackson and uh and i think that's we're seeing around the league like you can find dozens of teams who have just spent way too much on the middle of the roster and it's it's hamstrung them going forward. 
Yeah, a couple lessons. I mean, first of all, if you're going to pay that max level long-term premium, you want to do it for a top 10 guy, maybe not for a top 20 or 25 guy. And unfortunately for Blake, he slid from one of those categories to the other, right? So he's still one of the top 20, 25 talents in the NBA, but you look at his impact, it's not on that uh, championship contention level. And you're mentioning paying a premium, which is the exact right phrase that everyone should be focused on in this discussion. Uh, here's one interesting way to look at it. Blake's making $30 million. His stand-in when he was injured for the Clippers, C.J. Williams, who's a two-way contract guy, this yep. year is going to clear $300,000. They had basically the same record, almost identical record, with and without Blake Griffin. And Blake Griffin's replacement is being paid 1% of what totally. Blake Griffin is making. So when you're saying a premium, yeah, of course, well, okay, we're going to pay a, a, a we're going to pay a 50% premium. We're going to pay a 60% premium over like a replacement level NBA player, right? But yeah. there's just no way you can run the math if you're the Clippers and you've paid multiple years of luxury taxes and you're starting to look towards your future and say a guy who's making 100 times what a uh, a minimum two-way type player is making uh, if he's not having 100 times the impact or 50 times the impact then look we can't justify it and that's that goes for any business really i mean i don't think that's just like an nba uh, economic argument i think that's just a general economic argument uh, for any organization yeah and and blake is obviously an extreme case but i think you can see it on other teams as well like even in boston Gordon Hayward obviously hasn't played, so it's hard to sort of use him as an example, but he's making $30 million, and we've seen the Celtics not really miss a beat relying on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to fill that role, and like that's they're making $5 million a year. The, Gordon Hayward is making six times what they have, and and he's not six times better than those guys, and I think... That is that is true across the league. Like Kyle Lowry is making thirty million dollars, and the reason the the Raptors are able to remain sustainable is because Masai has been really smart about sort of like like he was able to dump the Damari Carroll contract, and he was able to to sort of replenish that bench with a bunch of draft picks who have who are able to outperform their deal basically. Like that the the, the way to solve the inefficiency of superstar deals is to go and find guys who are, who are going to be able to outperform cheap deals. Yeah. I mean, this is basically money ball is what we're talking about. And the phrase that Lawrence Frank used with me was sort of production over cost. I mean, it's a real simple way to look at it. It's cold hearted. It leads you to do things like trading away your franchise guy after you retired his Jersey in your free agency pitch. But uh, you know, this is professional sports and it's cold blooded, but I don't know of- why you're, dra- you're dragging this out, Andrew, cause I know we've got a question that you've been trying to dodge well, here from wait, Jim. Wait. Yes. It's time to talk about the wizards. So Jim says, Andrew, do you remember when your wizards won their season super bowl on Christmas and you bragged by cherry picking my old email, loving up the Celtics? Do you, Expect the Wizards to even win their division at this point. You root for a clown franchise, and you will now pay for messing around with lesser competition all season. I would feel sorry for you, but I can't. Sorry. Have fun with the Sadoransky experiment. Now, Jim, I deserve this email, unquestionably. However, I'm weirdly excited about the current version of the Wizards, and I'm saying this after they beat the Thunder the other night and before they play the Raptors they will almost certainly lose to the Raptors and make this sound stupid uh by the time it runs on Friday but 
I don't know. You take job wall off the court and suddenly the ball is moving more and it just feels like there's less pressure and, and the, the, the team is less frustrating to watch. So I don't have any illusions about them being better without John wall, but they, they are going to be more enjoyable than watching the team with hurt John Wall. So next summer, once he's trade eligible uh, and Thibodeau comes calling, offering Jeff Teague and his shorter contract so you can get out of that John Wall deal, are you saying yes or no if you're Washington? Thibodeau? Uh, absolutely. Um, no, I, look, I'm not ready to be full-on trade John Wall guy, but I am definitely... like it's scary that he's going to make $40 million toward the end of that deal. Um, and it's going to be hard to, to build the rest of the team around him for a lot of the same, same reasons we talked about with Blake, but uh, I I'm not there yet, but it's why, uh, why not though? That's my question. Why aren't you there yet? What's the difference? I, I mean, look, I like John wall too. I also like Blake Griffin, you know, but yeah. you can make the same argument, the money ball talk that we've just had. Uh, if you're looking at John Wall, this is really early. He's got this injury history that gets more and more concerning. It's not quite to Blake's level, but it's definitely there. When he's not playing at his A-plus level, you could say his impact is uh, not detrimental, but it's certainly closer to uh, you know, like average or replaceable um, on that roster. And he's going to be making a huge outsized portion of their cap for years and years and years into the future. Uh, why are you not that trade wall, uh, John Wall guy? Uh, because Wall's built up a lot of goodwill over the years here. And when he's oh. healthy, he was awesome. And I am not ready to, to cross that bridge yet. Okay. But it clearly, like, every option should be on the table if this season doesn't end in, like, a conference finals trip. Um, and, you know. It's not. I mean, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I'm just not ready to go there yet. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to talk me into trade John Wall takes, but uh, but it's definitely on the table for sure. I mean, I admitted that on the Blake the Blake podcast. Like, I, I've definitely looked into when he will be trade eligible, and the answer is, I think, late July. And I really, I don't think it's Tibbs who would be calling. I think if if they were to trade John Wall, it, he makes a lot of sense in Phoenix with that desperate regime who for the third straight year came out midway through the season and were like, this is the summer that we're going to go after big-time free agents and, and try to win now next year. And so I, I don't think they're going to have much success there, but if they want to pay John Wall $35 million a year, maybe that'll be on, an option that's on the table. Yeah, we'll see. I think if you want to talk yourself into the John Wall trade, I think you need to go back and find your very first trade Blake column. You need to do a find and replace in Microsoft <laughs> Word and just find and replace Clippers and find and replace Blake Griffin with Wizards and John Wall. I think it's the exact same argument. And it's funny that you mentioned all these emotional reasons why you wouldn't trade them because that was all the stuff you were poo-pooing when I was mentioning how cold-blooded it was for the Clippers to do this. You know, I mentioned, oh, you know, he turned around after that whole tunnel incident with the Rockets and he was doing the community service stuff the very next day and you were laughing, you were guffawing and saying, oh, you don't need to bring that into it. And then you go straight to the same argument and backing why you should keep Wall in Washington. Very telling, Andrew. Just very telling indeed. Give me time. Be gentle. We'll get, we'll, we'll figure this out all right me wall could come back in april and look awesome and so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say something that i'll later regret uh as far as jim's jim's celtics related question here 
I do want to say that uh, there's a scenario in play that would make this entire wizard season worth it. And that's the wizards kind of piss away the next couple weeks and slip to the eighth seed and get into the playoffs in a one eight matchup with Boston and then upset the Celtics in the first round. That to me, and granted there's a low bar for success in Washington, but that would be almost as good as an NBA title for me. Well, I'm glad we've got one reality-based person on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> All right, hold on. I have one more Wizards question to ask. Uh, Andrew says, uh, my heart sank when I heard Sharp so cavalierly toss Kelly Oubre into a hypothetical deal to bring DeAndre Jordan to D.C. Am I overrating him because a, he's a beautiful badass who does nothing but drain threes and dunk? Or am I correct to think that giving up, giving up a young 3 and D wing would not be a good move? Um, this is something that has annoyed me about Wizards fans on the internet of the last couple months. I think everybody is overrating Kelly Oubre. Like, Oubre is not actually good. He's been better than expected, but I don't think that he's ever going to grade out as like a, as an above average starter. But, uh, and, and he's also someone that the Wizards are going to have to pay a lot of money to keep in the next couple years. So if the, if there's a good trade offer out there, and I think if you could bring in DeAndre with the idea that he's going to come and, and opt in for the following year and you'd get a year and a half of DeAndre for Oubre, like, I would do it. Um, and I think yeah, that... The- DeAndre's not opting in, like I said before. And I think the emailer was right, Andrew. I think that you should be a little bit uh, more defensive of a guy like Kelly Oubre because you were just saying earlier, these young assets, teams need them, guys who can fill minutes. Oubre does that. He does You don't that. have to pay him for a while. And I, I just... When you threw out that trade uh, last week, my eyes kind of popped and I got shaken a little bit because I thought you were giving up. That you were giving up too much. I mean, for DeAndre, because ultimately, uh, I think that's a rental situation. How you have to approach a DeAndre trade, and he's not opting in. Okay. I just see no way where that happens. The, and so the case for uh, making that deal is you're giving up. I the the trade was Kelly Oubre, Marcin Gortat, and Jason Smith for DeAndre Jordan, and you're getting off. The Gortat deal, you're getting off the Jason Smith deal, and you're getting a half a season of DeAndre at worst. And I think getting rid of that money would make it worthwhile for me. Um, and in general, the the like the problem with with holding on to someone like Ubre is like you look at the smart teams. Like what what a team like the Celtics does is they make almost good players look better than they actually are. And then they trade them for players who are actually good. So Kelly Oubre is almost good, but he's not actually good. So if I were if I were running the Wizards, I would look to flip him for someone who can help more and and it like create success that actually means something rather than just getting the first or second round. I feel you. I if Gortat had longer term money, I could see where you're going with that. I mean, I think he has one more year after this one, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not like an obscene number. Um, I just think you're overpaying for DeAndre. Like DeAndre is very good, but the upgrade from Gortat to Jordan, that's not going to be like some, you know, franchise altering move here for this season in the playoffs. And I think at this point, uh, the Wizards view should not be on this season. I think you can't, not that you have to give up, <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I, I right. think you're, you're thinking a little too short term here. Uh, I would be more in the camp of like, hey, it's time to punt and take a longer term vision with this group. I think in the abstract, I'm I'm 
more in favor of trading Ubre than most Wizards fans. But you're right that DeAndre is probably not the guy for whom it, it would it would make sense. Um, moving on and sticking with the Celtics, Aurelian says, does not making the All-Star game still leave Tatum on the 10-time All-Star track or should we start calling oh, him nine-time? Honestly, after the f- last couple months, I think Tatum is is currently on the 15-time All-Star track. So I, we're certainly not docking him a year because as as Celtics fans will, will remind you any chance they get, he's only 19 years old. He's got plenty of time uh, to take over the league. So yeah, I, I think 10-time is, is still very much in play. And if anything, we're selling him short. Yeah, I don't love 15 time because you're losing the alliteration. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, is it possible we just settle on 12 time? 12 time. I mean, that has, a, right. that feels has right. a nice ring to it. You know, it's got the alliteration. I think it's pretty accurate. You know, 15 an awful lot, even though he's so young and he's been so <laughs> unbelievable as a rookie. Uh, I think we need to just pump the brakes a little. The I think thing 12 I, hold is fine. on. The thing I like about 15 time is that really the only players who ever make 15 all-star games are like top 10 players of all time. And uh, I think, you know, he could be in that mix. He's shooting 50% from three. It, yeah, it's great. I mean, they they have a chance to have five all-stars starting next year's all-star <laughs> game. I, you know, if they keep going like this. So, I mean, really Irving, Horford, Brown, Tatum, uh, Hayward, who's the weak link? I mean, I see five all-star starters and it really just comes down to whether the Celtics fans are going to vote or not. I mean, because if it's based on merit, <laughs> I trust the players and I trust the media to get it done. That's true. Absolutely. All right. couple more questions before a robust podium segment this week. Uh, Christian says, I'm a big fan of the pod and also an NBA halftime performer known for my routine with my chihuahua, Christian and Scooby. We were finalists on America's Got Talent. Here's a question for you guys. What was the actual purpose of switching up the all-star game format and including the draft? The whole controversy with the game has been that it's not competitive, and I highly doubt that just switching the players up will change that. All right, so first of all, I am honored to have a question from an NBA halftime performer. I don't recall seeing the Christian and Scooby routine. Christian, please email back to let me know if you're ever coming to D.C., but come uh, on, have you seen Andrew? It? How could you how could you overlook such a classic routine? And I I want to praise Christian's humble approach in this email because he just said he had a routine with his Chihuahua. He didn't really sell it. I mean, he's got an intimate, uh, you know, very loving and uh, you know just just beautiful routine with his chihuahua. I mean, they really, it's like two hearts merging as one when they take the court, Andrew. I mean, you'd think that they were attached at the hip. Um, so <laughs> you, this is on you to go check it out. And Christian, again, you know, props on not overselling in your email. I mean, you came across, you know, very uh, understated and we appreciate that. Fantastic halftime show. Yeah, it really is an honor. Um, and, and if there are any other halftime performers out there who listen to the show, please email in um, and, and join, join our community. As far as the question, I think we've talked about the All-Star Game enough, but it is, he raises a, a great point that at the end of the day, I don't think any of this is going to actually solve the problem it was designed to fix, where like no one's going to care about the about the actual game. Um, and I I did I like that they're trying to put money up for the winners. I think it's what a hundred thousand dollars for the winning team. 
Yeah, I don't have the number offhand, but I do think the money is always going to help, hopefully. But the original problem was the West is so much better than the East. It's a classic the show controversy against the AAA. You look back at the recent All-Star games in the West, I, I believe with one exception, like the last five or six years, has just mopped up the Eastern Conference. So they did all of this other nonsense to kind of spread out the West talent. Yeah. And we will see if that matters or if it works or not. Yeah, I mean, if if anything, like... I would have, I would have tried to give up. Uh, I would have tried to include money to to like increase everyone's motivation before trying to change the format. And uh, like, if if I known that they were going to put money on the line, I would have rather it be east and west uh, and keep it traditional. But but whatever. Moving on. That didn't really make any sense. Moving on. Noah says regarding Team LeBron's roster construction, as Ben Golliver once said. The most important ability is availability. So what do you think? Well, let's give Noah a lot of credit. I mean, it's a perfectly apt quote for this situation. The The correct wording, though, is the greatest ability is availability. So let's just correct that for <laughs> everyone who wants to make like our Wikipedia page out there or whatever. Um, he's right. I mean, Team LeBron is just taking shots left and right. All these guys are dropping like flies and... You know, one thing I didn't consider, you know, with the Steph, uh, Team Steph roster construction, he's got a lot of reliable players. You know, a lot of those Warriors guys are on managed minutes. They're not getting run into the ground. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, when they're coached by Mike D'Antoni, he doesn't play hard in 46 minutes in the All-Star game like he did the other <laughs> night against the Orlando Magic. Hopefully he takes full use of Steph's uh, healthy and deep roster uh, to kind of coach those guys to a victory. But uh yeah, the, the Team LeBron curse is very real. And I guess, are you feeling like we need to blame LeBron for it or no? I mean, I, all I'm saying is that Team Steph is going to win uh, on All-Star Sunday. And uh, and you gave me all kinds of grief. A, a, a number of people reached out to give me grief for siding with Steph in all things. And it, there's just no question in my mind that... Uh, Come come Sunday night in Los Angeles, I will look smart and you will look stupid. But um, and it's, well, yeah. If seven if seven of the guys don't show up and they're fielding a four man <laughs> roster, <laughs> I think Team Steph's going to take it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. The draft it won't make most people care about the All Star Game, but I am now more invested in this year's All Star Game than I ever have been. So. So that's yeah. good. You, um, you, you probably have $2,000 down on a bet too, don't you, for Team Steph? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're going maybe. all the way we'll with it. We'll spice it up. We'll spice it up. Um, actually, one other thing before we move to the podium. Did you see Noah included a link to a new Lego that hit the market? Uh, I think today, February 1st. The ship in a bottle well, Lego? Well, look, Andrew, I mean, it's new to you, okay? I've been following this for months. You know, I, I've been tracking it, obviously. No, today is the release date. But, you know, just like with sneakers, it's like, oh, the new 11s are, are out. Oh, what do you think about them? Well, the real heads, you know, the real sneaker heads and the real brick heads, they've already been tracking it for months. Uh, I'm not in on the ship in the bottle Lego. How about you? Uh, I, I kind of am in. I think I'm going to get oh. it and try to put it on my mantle, at least until my wife is like, what the hell is this? Get this put this in a closet, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make that purchase. It's, it's $65 or $69, which is a little pricey, but, uh, yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. Well, very cool. I can't wait to <laughs> see it. You know, definitely <laughs> gram it. You know, it, it, it needs to be on Instagram if you do it. And if you have any other, 
you know, late breaking uh, Lego buying ideas, let us know. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Noah, you're probably always going to get your email read if you quote me to me and you send in Lego links. So let that be a lesson to everybody else. <laughs> All right. Podium here. We'll begin with uh, Gideon, who says, I saw this video on Reddit of a Pelicans fan sneaking onto the court for warmups, stretching out and putting up a shot before the police escort him out. Have you ever seen anything like this at a basketball game? Or what's the craziest thing you've ever seen a fan do? Well, first of all, I think Dell Demps let him shoot long enough to see whether he was going to be worth a roster spot. Because <laughs> so <laughs> that honest, guy got up a God. lot of shots, didn't he? <laughs> honest to God, that was my reaction watching the video. Is I was like, you know, the Pelicans have been really turning over the bottom end of that roster for the last couple of years, and there's a chance that most of the guys on that team were just like, this is another D League call up. Like, yeah, get him some shots up, and. It just it says more about the Pelicans roster than it does like the Pelicans security team. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, going back to that two way article I wrote, you know, I, I asked these guys who they've been flying on commercial flights to get to games because the Clippers have been like finding ways around the rules and all this. And so like randomly Tyrone Wallace, who's been playing pretty well for the Clippers, like flew commercial from LAX to Salt Lake City on the day of a game to before they played the Jazz. And I was like, hey, when you do this, does anyone recognize you? He's like, no, definitely not. <laughs> so if if Tyrone Wallace could like, you know, get through LAX, one of the world's biggest airports without being recognized, I don't see why. Why, you know these pelican fans can't get onto the court i mean it's basically the same thing uh in terms of the craziest fan behavior that is a very uh difficult question i would just kind of default to fights you know i've seen some pretty wild brouhaha's um in the in the arenas i mean in terms of a mass fan behavior it would be the heat fans leaving during the finals and then yeah. trying to get back in uh that's you know absolute classic i was there for that and it was quite chaotic um uh, Past that, nothing else is really coming to mind specifically. How about you? Yeah, I can't think of any particular like crazy like viral examples that I've seen in person. I will say that at one point in my life when I was younger and stupider and more obnoxious, I was thrown out of a Wizards game for oh, um, boy. sneaking down to courtside seats. At, like They were baseline seats, those, those courtside baseline seats. And just screaming at Christian Leitner the entire time I was in the seats, and uh, got the old heave ho from Verizon Center security, and yeah, not my proudest moment, honestly. You know that story. I thought it was going to end with, and you know, as people say, a night in jail is tough, but sometimes it's worth it. I thought that's where you were going with that because uh, of your Duke <laughs> hatred and Christian Leitner. But no, all right, cool. you know, I was honestly, I was glad they didn't. There was no real re repercussions to it because I basically they were just like, you need to leave, get out of the stadium. And I, when they came over, I was like, oh shit, I'm, I really am going to go to jail. Um, so I was scared <laughs> you, straight. You were like, <laughs> you're, you were like, you're right, you're right. I'm out of here. I do need to go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I recognize that I've crossed some lines tonight, um, and I've never crossed those again, so we're good. Anyways, Barack says, Sharp, your taste in rap is nearly identical to the opinion that the 90s were the best era for basketball, so please just think about that and maybe listen to some Kendrick. And I'll be honest, this, this really hit me hard and led to some soul-searching, uh. and I, I, I want to say that I like Kendrick Lamar, I like Vince Staples, and I 
after this email, I'm going to make more of an effort to listen to new, to new music because I don't want to become Charles Barkley as I as I get older. I want to be Greg Popovich. I want to stay with the the modern times. I want to embrace what's new. And uh, so, thank you, Barack, for for opening my eyes here. Uh, I'm not sure this is true though. This comparison he's making because, like, when. And granted, I'm not a music expert, so I'm going to sound like an idiot. That's fine. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to take that one for the team right up front. But how come when you go to NBA arenas, for example, they play nothing but early 90s hip hop? You talk to guys, who's your favorite rapper? Invariably, it's guys like Tupac and Biggie. Like when we ask, uh, you know, people, you don't see highlight videos from like the 90s, the grainy film footage being played on the Jumbotrons very often. (laughs) That's true. Outside of like... Outside of a few places. And then how often does the average person in your daily life or you know your average TV channel play these NBA classic games versus when you just tune on the radio dial? I mean, down here in LA, they've been playing Snoop on the radio for basically 30 years straight. And they're right. probably going to be playing Snoop on the radio for another 30 years. So, so I, I question everything Barack's trying to say here, his entire reality, I question. Yeah, and, and the implication there with everything you just said, which is correct... Uh, is that the 90s were the best era for hip-hop. And so I think that's a, a key distinction. But nevertheless, I understand Barack's sentiment, and I don't want to be that old guy who just shits on everything that's currently cool because I'm no longer cool. So I don't want to be that guy. But I, as long as we can all agree that the 90s were far superior as far as, as a general era of hip-hop. I think you should just let it go and own it, Andrew. I don't think you should worry about what. <laughs> Embrace I don't think being you should worry. Relevant, sure. You're probably right. A hundred percent. You know, you call me Grandpa Golliver. Join the Grandpa Club. We're good. <laughs> we got comfortable recliners. We got really good slippers. Yeah. And uh, you know, we wake up early in the morning for our exercise, and it feels great. All right. Well, I'm curious for your answer on this next one. Robbie says, "I'm a fifth grade teacher, and a few months ago, I was playing pickup basketball against a student from another class. I'm taller than him by about a whole foot. I was taking it easy at first, but then I realized, oh, he's actually pretty good. So I picked it up a little bit, and soon I found myself on the low block, backing him down. I turned to shoot and thought it was going to be an easy layup, but he timed it perfectly and swatted my shot out of bounds. Then he yelled, "Hell nah, get that out of here!" I was and still am." quite shaken by the entire experience so my question for you guys is this what is your most embarrassing basketball moment do you have an answer here ben i've i've got three of them two of them will be quick they'll all be quick okay first of all (laughs) i was in preschool and uh, i was at a montessori school do you know what those are where they're like these kind of learning type environments not traditional classrooms so you're kind of like indoors outdoor you get to like do whatever you want to do right Exactly. So for whatever reason, we had uh, an exchange program with the school of Japanese kids and all the kids in the Japanese class were girls. There's like 20 of them. So we go outside for recess. And of course, they don't know anything about basketball. I mean, this is I'm like, you know, four or five, six years old, something like that. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to show them how to play basketball. And they just can't do it. They're just terrible. I mean, they can't even throw the ball. They don't know how to to shoot it right. So I like I move over this this uh, tunnel. Uh, this like you know uh like a playground equipment type tunnel that you would just kind of climb through okay like somehow push it over from the playground i set it up underneath the basket and then i jump off the tunnel to dunk to like show them how to dunk i dunk it and rip the backboard and the rim clean off the side (laughs) of the school 
So like there's this hole in the wall of the school siding. It's just terrible. I'm on the ground and like, you know, I'm probably crying or close to crying. Like, ah, all these Japanese girls who don't speak English are all pointing at me and just freaking out about what I've just done. Why did this kid just do that? And then, you know, my dad obviously got called immediately and was like, your son just destroyed school property. Like, what are you doing? So he shows up within like 45 minutes, how he got there so quickly, I have no idea. And it was just like one of the all time, like biggest, like just chew out sessions from my parents ever of like <laughs> have some respect for property what are you doing this is no way to Wait to second. represent uh your, your school in front of these foreign people like w- they were just so mad how old were you at this point were you like six years old so it was preschool so i would say i was probably like four or five because it, I, I think at this point at that age it's actually really impressive to be able to tear down a, a backboard like that i mean i'm no, i'm surprised well, no, that that sounds like it was your athletic peak well thanks that's not a very nice <laughs> thing to say I, I had a few more moments in my day no i'm just saying this was like a jerry-rigged hoop on the side of the school it wasn't like a freestanding hoop okay so this was you know maybe like six or seven feet off the ground and it was literally like they had just kind of like screwed it into the side of one of the buildings so there was probably like a classroom inside where everybody was like counting to a thousand and telling each other poetry and then all of a sudden there's just this huge like bang clunk coming from outside and then some little four-year-old hits the deck and uh (laughs) you know (laughs) so that was one okay uh another one simpler but similar we were in middle school we were playing basketball and i swatted a kid's shot and it like went to the exit sign above the door and it just absolutely shattered the glass of the exit sign everywhere and we had just a really really mean kind of PE teacher or observer or whatever who like heard the sound came running over and then like every single person in the gym ratted me out simultaneously because the guy was like who did this and it was just like every (laughs) single one of my peers pointing at me saying like he's the one who broke it and like obviously I hadn't done it intentionally but the teacher doesn't want to hear that so I had to like try to you know, brush it up with a broom. I believe there was some in-school uh, detention involved. Wow. And, you know, my parents got talked to. It was it was rough. The last one was an actual basketball game. And uh, my dad was uh, keeping score for the game. He was the official scorer. And it's at our home gym in, in uh, middle school. And uh, I was doing my thing, driving baseline. And for whatever reason, it was one of those situations where I got like hip checked a little bit. And so I wound up stepping on the line because I couldn't quite turn the corner. I mean, there was definitely contact. I think if we had three NBA officials out there, I would have gotten the <laughs> I would have gotten the foul call. But we just had one volunteer official, and, and he missed it for whatever reason. And my dad is this mild mannered computer programmer. Oh God! Uh, oh no! For, for whatever reason, he lost his mind. Andrew just flipped <laughs> out. So before the ball is even inbounded back into the game, and I'm apologizing to him right now for even telling this story because I know he's embarrassed by it. Yeah, he comes sprinting onto the court, and my dad's six foot five, and uh, you know, you know, kind, I'm not gonna say he's like, you know, full Oliver Miller, like not that far, you know, but like he, he he's a big guy, like definitely a big guy, and he okay. just gets chest he gets chest to chest with this referee again who's being paid what like six dollars an hour at this point yeah uh and his chest is basically to the ref's nose right and he is just dressing this guy down screaming at him right and 
eventually, I don't know who got called. There was no security at the game. Someone got called. He got escorted out of the gym entirely. They had to find a backup scorekeeper. And my recollection is they actually made him go back to the car and drive the car off school property to wait for me. And since this was like, this wasn't the age of cell phones or anything, I was like wandering. I was like wandering around the school trying to figure (laughs) out like where the car was until I was able to like get a ride home from him. So uh, those are three incredibly embarrassing basketball stories from my childhood. And uh, I really feel glad that I was able to get those off my chest. Thank you a lot, Robbie. I mean, this is this is almost like therapy. That sounded like a, a traumatic event for you in <laughs> your the middle of your adolescence. Uh I would say I don't think it's as embarrassing as the story you told about your grandpa, but it's up there. And, um <laughs> really impressive work from from your dad and you as a as a preschooler. Um as far as my own embarrassing basketball moments. So I didn't really have an answer until I heard you talking and, and talking about your middle school basketball career. And I remember that when I was younger, I used to, when I was like in sixth grade, I used to give myself these giant tattoos before every game <laughs> I played. Oh, God, and, uh, come on. Dude. <laughs> I wore number 22. So I would write 22 on like both of my hands before I played in red magic marker. And uh, because of my school was wore red. And that is really pretty horrifying to think about in hindsight. But I thought it was really cool at the time. And in general, hey, I did, would say most of did my... You ever, what's up? Did you ever shave your number into your hair? No, I didn't. Did you? Uh, I might have done that. I don't want to <laughs> confirm that. I don't want to confirm that one on the record, but that's right up there with the tattoos. Yeah, I, I think I probably would have, except that I look awful with like a buzz cut. So I would I would not have been able to pull it off, but I probably would have like in eighth, eighth or ninth grade. Um and then the only other thing that comes to mind is uh, we talked about it in the middle of last year's All-Star Weekend. I got to go play, like work out with Joel Embiid and his trainer, Drew Hanlon. And at one point, I scored on Joel Embiid, gave him a little up and under pump fake and lay it in, uh, a reverse lay in. It was, it was fantastic. That might be my greatest basketball moment. But every other part of that workout was pretty embarrassing because I just realized just how out of shape I was. And uh, it was a humbling experience with Drew Hanlon, who works with like a dozen different NBA players and is a a great trainer. So having him see exactly how out of shape I was was tough. Well, that was a great humble brag. Really worked that in smoothly <laughs> that you scored on Joel Embiid. <laughs> Just yeah. real natural segue. Look, it's part Good of job. the story, I'm saying. I, I did salvage <laughs> things at the end. Um all right. Yeah, okay. No, so just to recap, I embarrassed myself in front of an entire class of Japanese foreign exchange student females. Andrew <laughs> scored on Joel Embiid. Glad we got those out there. <laughs> no, all of my basketball moments are embarrassing basketball moments. That that should be the takeaway. Um, and yes, basically never relive your, the middle school version of yourself. Um, moving on though, Jeremy says, I was shocked a couple pods ago to hear that someone else in Cleveland has a dog named Kyrie. I'm from Cleveland and I too have a dog named Kyrie putting me in some hot water with a lot of my Cleveland based family. I get a lot of, are you going to rename your dog? Just like the other emailer. So my question here is, how many dogs named Kyrie are there? 
How many dogs are there named after basketball players, period? Your pod might be the perfect venue to do this kind of research as Open Floor Globe probably contains the most likely subset of people in the world to name their dogs after basketball players. Who are the most popular players to name dogs after? And what are the factors that go into making players ripe for dog names? Is it just greatness? Probably not, because both me and your other emailer named our dogs after Kyrie instead of LeBron. I agree with his last point there. I was thinking about it, like naming naming a dog Giannis would be weird because Giannis is so famous and dominant that it's like not cool. But uh, and I, Kyrie at this point is probably so famous that it would be weird to name your dog after him. But did you have any thoughts here? Uh, well, I think he's right in general, but in my specific life, it was actually the opposite because I not only tried to name a female dog after Michael Jordan, I also tried to name my younger brother after Michael Jordan. And these were heated (laughs) debates that ended in like, like real animosity. So with the, with the dog, first of all, I had a cat that I had our family kind of like rescued from some soccer practice. So we named him Pele. So that kind of like set the bar for, okay, we're going to name all of our animals after sports figures, yeah. at least in my eyes. Everybody else was just like, sure, it's a stray cat, whatever, go for it. <laughs> so they get this golden retriever puppy and I'm like, okay, we're going to name it Michael Jordan. That's just the name, obviously. They're like, no, no, we can't do that. So I was like, okay, well, we're just going to name it Michael. And they're like, it's a female dog. And then I was like, okay, how about like Mikaela or like whatever that <laughs> name is, you know? Yeah. And they're like, no, we're not going to name it that. So finally, after like seven rounds of negotiations, the dog's name was Emmy Jane for MJ. That's like the closest uh, that we could kind of like yeah. compromise. Okay. So my my parents called it Emmy, but I was always calling it MJ for like years. And then, you know, I would refer to it by its full name, Emmy Jane, when nobody else did. So they kind of like threw me that bone. A couple years later, boom, surprise pregnancy. I have a brand new younger brother. Uh, <laughs> we go through the whole cycle again. So I'm like, all right, we're going to name him Michael Jordan Golliver. Great name. Like who could argue with that? It's perfect. Like, why wouldn't you? Uh, they're like, no. So I'm like, okay, how about Michael Jeffrey Golliver? You know, it's not Michael Jordan, but you know, Michael Jeffrey, that that was where his first and middle name, you got to do it. They don't like that idea either. We end up compromising on Aaron Michael. And because they were able to pitch it to me as like air Michael, right? Like, okay, it's sort of, it's sort of like that. So, (laughs) so I had a dog named Emmy Jane and a brother named Aaron Michael. They both turned out great. Uh, loving members of the families. So uh, from that standpoint, uh, you know, it's not like Kyrie or Kylie or, or you know, one of these other like newfangled names that people use for their <laughs> for their pets. I, I, we just kind of stuck to the classics in my family. Okay, well, I just want to be sure about one thing. Whenever you have kids, can you make a promise to me that you're not going to name your firstborn son or daughter since it's gender neutral? I don't want Jordan Golliver to be a, a, your the name of your first child. Well, that was actually, I'm really glad you mentioned that because <laughs> not only did I pitch Michael Jordan for both the the dog and my brother, we also did the inverse too. So Jordan Michael, uh, you know, Jordana for the dog because oh, it was God. a female. Like we, we tried every permutation until we got to where we were. Um, in terms of kids, I, I don't foresee children in my future. I don't want to make that promise to you right now. Okay. Um, but we'll see. Um, you know, that's a, a big responsibility. <laughs> I think a bigger responsibility than naming a child is having a child. That's and true. so from that standpoint, <laughs> you're right. Don't put I, the car putting it the off. Horse. I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, in general, look, if you've named your dog after a basketball player, as I said, 
when we when we addressed this the first time, I named a dog Gilbert, and the dog has grown up to be completely insane. I named a dog Rafer after Rafer Alston, and uh, <laughs> that dog is is actually pretty awesome. Um, and so I'm all in to hear any of your dog names, um, and we could try to we could try to come up with some rules for this, but. I do think that someone like LeBron, and no offense to like eight-year-old Golliver, I think Jordan would be too famous to name your dog after. So, but it's it's tough. It's well, a gray area. Andrew, you're really sounding a lot like my parents right now, and I, I don't love that. But I did <laughs> love your idea. So, anyone who's got basketball-related pet names, openfloormail at gmail dot com. Openfloormail at gmail dot com. What's your dog name? What's your pets? Your other pets' names? How is it basketball related? And what was the negotiation process like? If there was one, uh, you know, if you're trying to convince your significant others to do something like Rafer, uh, how did you pull it off? <laughs> that was actually a really tough sell, but eventually my my siblings just got tired of arguing with me. And so it worked out. Um, moving on, last question here. Adam says, I drive by a mega church called C3 Church near Atlanta every day on my way to classes. Every day, I joke to myself that it is the church of CP3 since I see a full gym and basketball court inside. I imagine the church of CP3 is rigid, full of rules, and the pastor yells at you and points his finger at you if you sin. Every Sunday, the pastor brings up guest speakers who he assists in giving a sermon with, but every year around Easter, the NBA finals of church season... (laughs) He gives a rather disappointing homily and fails to actually get to the resurrection. Do you have any reactions there? Uh, I'm just trying to picture what the hardened church would be. Uh, pretty sure a gentleman's <laughs> club. Yeah, exactly. The hardened church is in the heart of Atlanta. Uh, I forget the name of, of, of the strip clubs there, but yes, unquestionably. <laughs> no, I didn't have a huge reaction. I mean, I, I do think an underrated part about church and basketball culture and all that is that having courts in every city where people can go play is actually a really big deal. I'm not trying to make this serious and boring for a second, but (laughs) how many times did you play in a church gym when you were growing up and how many different cities where there's lots of crime and lots of issues inner cities where you can actually go to, to a basketball place, hang out on uh, you know, a Friday night and play some hoops. I know a lot of cities like Chicago and others were doing proactive events, trying to get people into churches uh, rather than doing other stuff. You don't hear people talk about that very often. There's a lot of glamorization of the playground. You know, Heaven is a Playground, famous book, uh, you know, but the church basketball culture is ripe for someone to do like a a coast-to-coast type story about uh, the impact of those on various players and uh, on their communities as well. I would just love to read that. So free book idea for aspiring writers out there. Go do it. Yes, absolutely. And uh, and great email from Adam here. The only thing I have to add to, to the Church of CP3 is that almost every sermon includes a lecture about not worshiping false idols. And he puts a giant picture of Steph Curry up on the screen. Uh, oh. Steph, Steph and maybe Blake. I don't know. In Church of CP3... I, I, I'm into it. Um, but with that, we should come back next Tuesday when we're going to have all kinds of trades to talk about. Um, and actually, we probably won't have that many trades to talk about now that I mentioned that. It sounds like Tyreek Evans is the biggest name on the market. I think I think trade season may have peaked with Blake. But either way, we'll be back next week to talk about whatever's happening. We'll be back. Andrew, this was a fun conversation. Thanks for letting me get a lot yeah. of that stuff fun off my chest. I just want to... It really was. And Andrew, look, 
let's remind people, subscribe, Open Floor, Apple Podcasts, give us those five-star reviews, and subscribe to Rob Mahoney's Breakaway Podcast, also on Apple Podcasts. Throw him a five-star review and say, Open Floor sent me in your review. I'm sure he'll love hearing it. Uh, <laughs> Andrew, other than that, they can go ahead and email us, uh, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And one last plug here for the true diehards who stick around to the end. Guys, go check out this Instagram account. It's called Open Floor Globe. We've got ourselves our very first official fan account. It's pretty funny. Get on it before everybody else does. You'll love it. Andrew, until next week, I'll talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.